Hey everyone, welcome to the Blue Room Podcast, an intimate space where we explore ourselves, our lives, and our relationships more deeply through therapeutic conversation. I'm your host, Fantana Shatamsa, and I'm so grateful to be on this journey with you. Today I have my friend and colleague Winnie here with us. Um, and before we start diving into it, I just want to put a trigger warning out there mm -hmm. for folks because Again, anytime we talk about things that are really sensitive and triggering, mm -hmm. um, we just want to make sure that we do it responsibly. Yeah. Um, and this episode is going to be around human trafficking, um, human sex trafficking, um, yeah. childhood trauma, those types of things. So um, we just want to make sure that you guys are in a right mental space if you want to listen to this one. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, Winnie, do you want to... Um, Introduce yourself. We'll let folks okay. know what you're what you're about and what you do. So I'm Wendelin Brown, the CEO and founder of Empowerment for Hope, which is an organized nonprofit organization that supports those that are at risk of human trafficking, sexual exploitation, any sexualized violence. And as you know, as a survivor of human trafficking, this has been a passion for me for years. Mm -hmm. Took me almost 32 years, but here I am mm -hmm. at this space to be able to kind of give back to my community. Yeah, yeah. And your story resonated with me. Like the fact that, you know, I think the first time I heard you speak or I heard, mm -hmm. I saw you was like on YouTube. Someone shared a clip of you doing a presentation either at a church or something. Yeah, I think I was, yeah. It was that, and I watched it on YouTube, and I was like, holy, like, your story's so powerful in the way that you tell your story. Um, mm -hmm. It impacts a lot of people, and it's conversations that people don't want to talk about. And that is so true. You know, e even when I was sitting out thinking about, now how am I going to start this story off? Like, because normally, you know, I have a little routine that I go through, yeah. you know, but... Um, just let me kind of dive into it. Um, growing up, that's how I'll, I'll say it like that. Growing up, I come from a family mm -hmm. uh, where my dad was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So that caused a lot of sexual child, um, sexual abuse in the family, not from him, but people that he used to bring to the house that I took as my uncle. Really? And that started at the age of seven, mm. up until I was about 10. So, mm. you know, holding all that in as a young child, not being able to really talk about it. My mom um, ran a strict household. She was always at work a lot. Mm -hmm. And because of the type of woman that she is and you know, I couldn't, I was too afraid to go and tell her about mm. the sexual abuse. Mm. So that carried on. We moved from one part of the city into another part of Dartmouth mm. and by that time I'm coming into age 13, and one of my cousins raped me. So from- At 13? Yeah, at 13. How at, old is your cousin? Can I, I think he and I- um, Doesn't matter. Would kind really. of be around the same age, but at the end of the yeah. day, it's just simple fact that- 100%. That, that happened, yeah. and I didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that day so clearly. Uh, my mom was at work, literally. Um, she used to work at Northwood, so mm -hmm. me and my brother, weren't allowed outside in the lane and we grew up in Jellybean Square. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um coming outside cost me that day to oh have that happening to me. Played hide and go seek and I went in the house and hid behind a chair. He came after me and, you know, started, you know, touching and then he forcefully, you know, had sex with me. So and I kept that in. I didn't tell that to anybody because, 
you know, number one, I didn't want to get in trouble from mom. And still, even growing up at that time, my mother and father was going through a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, like situations. It was a lot of, um, you know, like violence in the home because my dad used to, you know, beat on my mom at times. Mm -hmm. And so we had to grow up with that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, by the time I turned 15, when my mom and dad split up, she took us to a lady that was in the church. And we, you know, when I sit back and I think about that right now, we were homeless. Oh, yeah. We, even though we went and stayed with somebody else. Yeah, we didn't have we a were, home. We, we had to give up our home mm-hmm. so that when my mother left. could do a cut and take care of me and my brother and just let whatever she mm-hmm. had with dad go about his business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was sitting out thinking about that. Oh, my God. Wow. We were homeless, but we, as black people, we would never say that, mm-hmm. you know, because we always have a couch or a bed to sleep on, right? Yeah. And from that... Um, we stayed with this person for so many, uh, I think for maybe eight months, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. And from that, we ended up moving out to East Preston. Mm-hmm. And we lived with my aunt and uncle for about two years while our house was getting built. And by that time, I'm ending junior high and I'm going to Graham Creighton Junior High. And I had repeat grade, grade seven because I came into fourth term. So mm-hmm. I couldn't catch up. Mm-hmm. So, um, in the time, in the second, the second year that I had to go back and repeat grade seven, this is when I kind of encountered my trafficker. And he was, um, he came from the community of North Preston. Mm-hmm. And um, we used to, as young girls, we used to like leave the school at lunchtime and we used to go down to a store at the corner when it's called Turner's. So Turner's used to have a wall and we used to go sit up on the wall and eat our lunch. And, you know, the guys would come from out of the community and they would drive up in their cars and, you know, back then they'd have the, the jury curls and, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the, you know, the nice little pimp mobiles, mm-hmm. you know, now I can say that because, and even I can say it like jokingly, because now I understand what that stigma around those type of cars mean, mm-hmm. right? And this, this man um, started talking to me and I had a complex because I struggled with my weight a lot. Mm-hmm. And I had bad eczema. Mm-hmm. So um, I was kind of shy growing up in, in church all the time. And I just went from school home to church. Mm-hmm. So um, also being growing up in a, in, a religious, in a religious home like that, I never wore pants. I never wore my first pair of pants. I was 17 years old. Right. Yeah. That's so a, that's a thing. <laughs> we, yeah. Sometimes even in, in our religion, too. Um, yeah, like I, I can't wear pants at our church either. It's, uh, it's all dressed. Long and, dress. Yeah, long and dresses. you know, and it's so weird. Like the church that I attend now, we can. I, I, I can wear pants. Yeah. I don't. There's, no, I'm lying. I do on occasion. I do, but yeah. it's it takes a lot for me to put on a pair of pants because of, of the stigma of, yeah. of growing up and having yeah. that always on you. Yeah. And by the time I, um, this man talked to me, he was 24 at the time. I'll never forget that. And in my head, I'm saying, oh my God, he's so old. And you were how 15 mm-hmm. and, but he talked to me and he talked to me. He was the one that took my virginity, um, mm-hmm. like in that sense, yes, you I know, gotcha. um, and which is also rape. It was, you know, every time I even think about it, like, um, because now when I sit back and I look at how he, he groomed, groomed me and he had to work me and work maybe, you know, because I used to hate having sex with him. I didn't care. I just wanted to have, I think, like the friendship and feel that love 
feeling that I was feeling towards him or I was thinking that he was loving me too mm. from everything that he did you know and it wasn't that he went out and brought me cell phones did my nails or anything like that mm -hmm. you know he's go buy me food and that was a big thing for me you know what I mean so mm. you know and some people may say oh Wendelaine you know it was just McDonald's but it is not the fact that it was McDonald's that it's, he went out it's how he did it yeah. and why the, the, we know now why he was grooming me you know mm -hmm. okay so you know he was the man that i was looking for in my dad if you know what i'm trying to say yeah. and one of the biggest things that was a sinker for me was because i i just told him everything about my life and because he knew i didn't have my dad around and mm -hmm. my mother was a you know a strict woman he would put ideas and thoughts into my head mm -hmm. just from just what i would say you know mm -hmm. and and I didn't really understand because I was young, yeah. you know, but it came to a point where in my, even now when I think back, I loved him. Yeah. In my own little of 15, course. 16, that, 17 year old way, I did. For sure. And that's why it was so easy for him to take advantage do, of that. Take advantage. And, uh, and uh, that's a lot about why your story also resonated with me because that was, it was so normal. Like that type of behavior from, grown men to young girls was so normalized mm -hmm. like even in in our community like we there were girls that i grew up with that had guys that would take them away for wow. however you know weeks mm -hmm. or months or whatever and they would come back and it would just be kind of this thing like but it was like it was like so normalized like we didn't really realize how how deep of an issue that was mm -hmm. and because it was so normalized not just in our community not just in the black community not just in low-income mm -hmm. community but we see it in hollywood all the time yeah have these grown-ass men yep. be so attracted and grooming these 12 13 year old girls and exactly. it's like a, it's a problem that we have in society that really needs to change um and and i and like your story there's so many layers to it just like I can relate yeah. like you know being young and having so much stuff going on like your parents are mm -hmm. dealing with their own stuff yeah. and your community and you know all these things that like you feel like you don't have the space or the right sometimes to to say something True. about what's going on and you know growing up and being black um our parents used to always tell us what stays, what happens here stays in here. Oh, for sure. You know, and... Don't, don't. With, well, this don't is tell, it. Don't tell nobody <laughs> about the family stuff. Well, this is it. And then on top of that, you, I look at, like, my mom used to say stuff to me like, um, you stay away from them boys. Them boys ain't no good. But that and, was it. And that's it. There was no sex talk. No, no, nothing about that's the either. sex. Yeah. None of that stuff. Like, my mom didn't even talk to me about my period. I learned all that stuff through school. Yeah. And even when this guy took me um, that day, like within a couple of days, I, I literally started my period. You didn't? Or you I didn't? did. Oh. And I was young. I didn't understand nothing about on? it. I knew that I needed, you know, to, you know, help myself. But, you know, like even now when I even sit back and I, and I think about that and I'm like saying to myself, how could like, those men could even be attracted to that because they did things to me while I was bleeding. Yeah. It was, it, they didn't care. You know, I went through gang rape every other day. I went oh through sodomy. 
when that became a, when that was kind of like you know wearing off, they started with the bestiality. I still have scars on my on my ribs here that you know like from just scars from let me mother die grab it at me yes exactly and um, back in them times like you know that happened thirty two years ago they used to do when they wanted two dogs to mate. They would literally have this type of saw that they would put on like the girl dog and, you know, so the dog can kind of go towards it. You know what I mean? And they wiped that stuff from, I remember from my backside down to the back of my legs. And I was literally on my knees, um, tied like this so that my hands were on this side of the chairs and the legs on the other side of the legs. So I would be in a position where I couldn't move. And yes. And, My you know, God. I remember, you know, yelling and screaming because number one, I was, I was afraid of dogs. So to feel that dog trying to grab at me and doing wow. other things. And I mean, I literally like um, could feel like we want his little tinkle penis bumping up against my ass. And I think to myself, oh, my God, because. You hear so many things about people having sex with animals. Like you said, I'm saying to myself, like I've never experienced that before. I never had to go through right. none of that stuff before. Right. I didn't ever know about like <laughs> gang. You you hear about stuff, but you know like, yeah. and you can try to imagine in your head like, what's gang rape? You're young, so how would I know what gang rape is? Like we we heard about it. Mm-hmm. Like I would I would hear of it happening to girls, mm-hmm. but I like I've never I've never been in that situation. Um, oh my god. Like, it I was can't it was horrible, even with feeding me. You know, it, it got to a point where to I want to go home. Honest to God, I just want to go home. I didn't even care if I got in trouble anymore. I just wanted to go home, and to hold that manipulation over me. Um, you know, I I remember like they would literally feed me chicken bones and fish bones, and it was around the it was around Halloween time and stuff like that. And I remember they were eating this mackerel. And I was so hungry and so messed up because I'm wearing a pair of underwear that I had on for weeks. You know what I mean? And I'm taking like a towel that I found in the bathroom and that's what I got to fold up to put between my legs. You know, so I'm not bleeding all over the place. And nobody cared. Nobody cared. Was it just you in the house? It was just me in the house. With other men? With a bunch of men. And once they... um, people from the community, or as you say, men from the community knew that there was a girl up there and, you know, they're running train on her. Because back then, that's what we would call it. We would call it gangway. We would call it train, running mm-hmm. train. They came and had their fun. I remember them sitting at the table, uh, playing cards for me. That's how I would get taken into the room. And um, I remember um, when, I, when they were trying to do, like, the sodomy, and if I was too too much of movement, they would give me this tea. I understand now, he was a, it used to look like a bunch of leaves in the, in, in the cup, but it had a stimulant in it that would make me like nod out. So I couldn't move my body. And even the day that the friggin' police come there looking for me, and they took me and put me literally underneath the floorboards in the kitchen, back behind the table by the bathroom. And I, rem- and I remember, because I couldn't move, but I could hear everything and I could move my eyes and stuff. And I remember the police asking for me. I remember them 
I remember the guy giving him permission to come in and look because, you know, hoping they're not going to find me, which they didn't. And one thing I'll never, never understand is why didn't they bring that police dog in the house? I'll never understand that. So I remember literally when the police officers were walking around, they that the weight of their feet on my chest underneath the, the floorboards, you know? And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, please, can't you see me? I even wrote a poem that says, can you see me? And they didn't, and they walked out of the house. And after that, um, to maintain that control over me, um, they said to me, if you wanna go home, you have to get us another girl. So I was on that. And I just want to go home, honest to God, 100%. you know? And I, we went to Sackville Drive. I'll never forget that. And there was, you know, some girls that would walk in and he's like, try that girl. And so we rolled down the window and I was like, hey, come over and convinced her to get in the car. Like, you know, we're, you know, everything is cool. And she got in, I was in the back with another man and there was my trafficker who was driving and another man in the front. So there were three men and myself. She got in the back with me. Once we kind of got out of Sackville, coming down Magazine Hill and um, going along Acreley, I remember we switched and put her in the front and so that she wouldn't be able to like, like leave once we got to North Preston. And you know, when we got in North Preston, all I, I could walk home because there's a back road from East Preston to North Preston, you know? And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, can I go home? No, that didn't happen for me. Oh and God. I'll they never let you leave. No, no. And I'll never forget hearing the screams from Tracy that day. Everything that I heard her scream and go through was what I already was going through. I'm glad that today she and I have um, a mutual, like, kind of acquaintance friendship. You know, she doesn't hold that against me. And like, it was even hardly like, meeting her after all these years. Like. Because how could you know? Like how, like you were also in survival mode. You also, mm -hmm. like, were trying to find a way out. Like, and you were also so young. Yeah, and, and you know, I, even though all that happened to me, <laughs> I have to laugh because sometimes it, if, if, if some people don't get out. And when I say that, some people get stuck in it physically and they can't get out of the trafficking and then some people get out but they're they still have that slave mentality where they're so complacent at the life that they live mm -hmm. that they end up even like I did I turned around and started sexually exploiting myself I mm -hmm. fell into a 12 year mm -hmm. drug addiction mm -hmm. and four times I tried to take my life how did you I'm sorry to yeah. hear all that how did you, is this after you left this is after I left and it, let me tell you that. How did After, you leave? Yeah. The police found me. They eventually found you. Because one day I was, we were getting ready to leave to go to Montreal. And I remember they came out, they took us, they put us in the trunk of the car, me and that girl, Tracy. And they put you in the tr trunk, trunk of the car. Of a car. Yeah. To drive to all dr the way to Montreal. Well, that was the plan so that, because remember, the, the police are going through the community looking for Wendelin. So, so, did, so your parents had put out a missing. My dad even came. Um, one of my cousins that lived down the street um, heard that there was a girl up there that they were running train on. 
So that's how, okay, Aubrey, maybe that's your daughter, you know? And like I said, the police came, but they didn't find me. They literally walked on top of me and, and walked away. And that day that we got in that car, I looked over at, at Tracy and she was crying so hard and, you know, she was blaming me and I felt, I felt like shit, mm. you know, a, a big part of me did, you know, but mm. I was young. I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't even know that the back seat of cars can fall down. Like, you know, if you're in the trunk, yeah. I didn't know that. And I came through because I realized in my mind, if we get the hell out of here, and he takes us away. I've never been like to Toronto, never to Nova Scotia other than to go to New Brunswick and come back when this is what he did. Mm -hmm. From Halifax to Nova to New Brunswick and back. This is mm -hmm. what he did with, with me. And um, that day when we were in that trunk of that car and I pushed that seat down, I remember that guy's father was walking up the steps because he had us down in a low part of the house and his father lived up in the top part. So the whole time that we were there, this, this person's dad wasn't around. And that day I seen him walking up the steps. I watched him go into the house because I didn't want that man to come outside and see that I wasn't in the trunk because this was my opportunity to get free. Mm -hmm. And I got out of the trunk. I didn't run. I went up the steps, knocked on the door, and I said to the man, I said, can I use your phone to call my parents? Your son had me downstairs. I want to go home. And I said, the police came looking for me, and, you know, those things. And he let me use the phone. I called dad. I said, this is where I'm at. Will you please come and get me? And I went back, got into the trunk of the car because I was scared of what would happen if the guy came outside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I remember hearing, you can hear the walkie-talkies of the police. I could hear all that in the yard. And, like, thank God, like, when they opened the trunk, I, I, I was so happy to, to see the police and, and I, I was, but I, I, how can I say it? But I was, now when I even think about it, I was, I think a part of me was sad to be leaving him, you know, because I was wrapped up in feelings. And even when... How many years were you there? Almost, almost two years. Because he started grooming me from the age of 15. Yeah. And I was coming almost 16. So when I started um, having sex with people, it was at the age of 16, mm -hmm. you know? And because he had to work me to make sure that, you know, as I say, I was greased up. But, um, you know, even after I got home, I lied to my parents. I didn't tell them what happened. I, I was too ashamed. And I used to go to Cole Harbor High then. So when I went back to Were you going to school? Yes. For yes. that two years? I used to sneak out the house to go meet him at the end of the road when my mother was in bed. And go do stuff. Yes. So were you living there or no? What, living in East Preston? No, were you living with with your with the trafficker? He had me in two two places in North Preston. Yes, he did. Oh, God. And we would just travel from, you know, there into New Brunswick. And it's so weird because, you know... Um, you were going to school yeah. while all this was happening. Yeah, and half of the time I wasn't even going to school, you know. Um, I remember my, um, he's my godfather, Mr. Jerry Tynes. He was the principal of the school back then. You know, he literally had to tell me, you got to go. <laughs> no, you can't be here. The kids would make fun of me. They would, um, um, you know, like ask me, some of the guys would say, you know, can I get a PCU? You know, I heard what happened to you up home. And, 
you know, you girl, you might as well just give me some of you too. And, you know, and it, it was so much to, it was so shameful because you get all the cat calls walking down the hallway. Sometimes I get off the school bus. I, I wouldn't even go into school. I would just go up on mm -hmm. the road by, by Cole Harbor Road or the mm -hmm. Forest Hill Parkway and stand on the street and smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Just smoke. And I didn't even know how to smoke. But mm -hmm. I would just smoke cigarettes because it was wait till everybody goes to class, you know. And then when I got kicked out of school, that um, kind of like changed my whole, my whole everything. You know, I ended up having kids. I got in with another man who was abusive to me. And I ended up having three children with him and my trafficker after that happened eight years prior. So one day I just knock at the door. And I go to the door and it's him. I was in shock because I hadn't seen him in over eight years. And now I understand that he was on a psychosis. Him and another man was going to a different house. He went to the wrong house. And that day he sexually he assaulted me. The eight years later? Yes. And one of my, my oldest child, which is my daughter, walked out of the room. And she walked in? Uh, yes. So he had me in the living room. So she walked over she, and she called my name. And, you know, I remember him turning around telling me how beautiful she was. And I said to her, oh. you go back and go get in your room right now. My and God. I, because I'm thinking in my head, how am I going to protect my kids? I can't even protect myself. And I. Oh, my God. So I took, I said to him, why don't you take me? I'll go with you. We just got to get out of here. And. I came out of the house and he took me up through the back way from the East Preston to North Preston and him and his friends sexually assaulted me. After that, I just got him. I remember I said, can you just drive me to this place? And I went to, I made him take me to my, no, he wanted to come back to my house. And I said, oh, can we stop here so I can pick up my laundry? And I went to my aunt and uncle's house. And when I went inside, I broke down to my cousin. I told him, this is what happened. I just got sexually assaulted. Those men outside in the car are waiting for me to come back because, and I told him I was afraid. And, you know, my uncle went out and made them leave. I ended up being going into the Abbey Lane on the psych ward because I tried to take my life. It was the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, from that and talking with the doctors, it brought up, it triggered the trafficking. Mm -hmm. So that's how the police got involved eight years later. And by the- well, How did they get involved eight years later? What were they trying to- Well, <clears throat> when I was in the hospital and I tried to take my life and we talked about the sexual assault, mm -hmm. then that triggered, you know, the trauma of Your me memories. being trapped, being, yeah. being trafficked. So mm -hmm. once the police knew that I was, you know, trafficked, it doesn't oh, matter if it's 20 go, years later. Oh, they wanted to go after- oh, Yes. Oh, I see. So that's what happened. And it took another two years to get into the court, into the court, into the court, I should say. And the trial was really messed up because I, I just, he had to question me. He fired his lawyer and he had to question me. And Who had to question you? My trafficker. So to have him, yes, get up and ask me questions was really, he, he messed with my head so bad that day. I looked at the judge and I said, you know something? That's it. I'm done. I can't do this. Because 
a big part of my shame was because now my parents are finally going to hear what truly happened. And I was embarrassed. So wow. <clears throat> the judge. So then it makes it so much harder to tell the truth and mm-hmm. say what's happening. And, and it was. And, and you know, um, I was also a part of the juvenile task force, like Vice. So, you know, I had those officers with me in the courtroom. And, you know, when the judge cleared everybody out, they were like, you know, it's up to you, but like, we've come so far, like, you know, and I was, I was just shamed because, oh my God, mom and dad is really going to hear what yeah. happened, you know, and for my mother to walk up and say, you tell, I don't care what he did to you. You just tell the truth. Mm-hmm. It gave me that boldness and, and the confidence to be able to face him when he came back in, because I was able to face him when he came back in. I, you know, I, I remember looking at the judge and I wouldn't look at him and I was saying, you know, this, the judge asked me, what did the house look like? I could describe it and this is and that happened to me 10 years prior so you know when it, everything was all said and done the judge found him guilty that day only gave him a two-year sentence he was open for so that like oh that really hurt me the other man decided you know okay let me take this to supreme court <laughs> I couldn't even spell the word Supreme, but he took me to Supreme Court anyway. And Who did? the other gentleman that was involved in the sexual assault with with my trafficker. He wanted to take you to Supreme Court. So instead of going to provincial court, because he wanted to be tried by a judge alone, he took the case to Supreme Court. And what was I, what was their argument? What what could they possibly say to defend themselves? You know, what, you know what, what something? They... When I think about it, um, the older, the, the older gentleman um, that took me to Supreme Court, I remember him saying, I didn't do nothing. I couldn't even get hurt. And it's true. He couldn't get hurt. And I admitted that. But at the end of the day, you forcefully held me down in that car. And because of the way that I was going on, it, you know, okay, so it took your heart on away. Uh, okay, whippy ding dong. But the, the principle is you, were there, you put me assistant. in that position and right. this is what happened. You guys literally were taking turns. One was holding me while the other one was getting out the car to come around to get in to make sure that I couldn't move or run or anything like that. So, um, and they were charged with living off their veils, unlawful confinement, um, oh my God, assault, assault causing bodily harm. Um, oh my God, they were, he had about seven or eight charges against him. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he only got two years. The other gentleman, like I said, that took me to Supreme Court, the judge found him guilty, but he was allowed to serve his time in the community. So he didn't get jail time because, you see, it's been like 30 years since he ever committed a crime. So the judge felt he wouldn't be a danger to myself or to anybody else in the community. He died mowing his mother's lawn some months later. My trafficker, today he, uh, he's still alive. Um, I won't say a bunch about like him like that so people can know who it is like that, but he is alive and I don't, I'm not, I don't look at the fact that what has happened to him now, we're like, you say karma is a bitch. I I won't say that because that's not the type of person that I am and I don't want to say it like that, but you know, things happen in life and karma does get people, you know? But I'm not happy that that happened to him, if you get what I'm trying to say. I'm not happy. I, I, 
that's what that's what makes this stuff so complex because Mm -hmm. also at your age you felt like to your capacity you loved this person Mm -hmm. and you had this relationship Mm -hmm. with them and that's how all this grooming and stuff Mm -hmm. can make such a deep lasting impression on people Mm -hmm. because a lot of it these you build relationships over time so even like even when you don't even want to say the person's name, mm-hmm. I feel that too. Like for you know things that I've gone mm-hmm. through, like I don't want to say out loud who it is because mm-hmm. um, you do build this relationship, and that's what makes this shit so complex and so. But like as a person on the outside, like you know, I'm like you should absolutely say his name and you should <laughs> you should call his ass out. And you know, you know what's so funny, um, and, and it's not that. You know, because it's already been a criminal case and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that um, I don't want to say his I name because I call him old or anything like it. that. I just don't go that way because of the dynamics of, of everything that's involved. I get it. So, but, um, you know, even like you hearing you just say that, you know, I sit back and I think to myself, like, oh my God, like. Because you have to live with it. Mm-hmm. You have I do. to live with it for a lifetime. But that's like me. Mm-hmm. I also have to live with, you know, my my mm-hmm. experiences. But there's this thing where really we just I think it's part of the shame and the complexity of like sexual abuse. Like it's, it's you, a deep And you know what's so weird? Because even after all of that, I went and sexually exploited myself. You know, for twelve years I, I, I was so struggled on on the dope. Mm-hmm. From the crack to the heroin to the lotus, whatever the alcohol was a given, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it used to take away all my pain. Mm-hmm. It really did, and I became homeless. And because of that, you know, my drug addiction, I became homeless. I literally gave my kids to my parents mm-hmm. because I couldn't do it, and it wasn't fear to them to be around me 100%. while I'm living like that. You know, my God, I remember seeing myself take food that I go buy and sell it to the dope dealer Mm -hmm. and then go to the food bank to bring the food back so to make sure the kids could eat Mm -hmm. you know like and and I say to myself how after when when women who have been trafficked how how is it that we turn around and go back and sexually exploit ourselves I did it because I had a drug addiction I did it because there was times I was tired of sleeping outside in minus 35 weather mm-hmm. in Ontario. Mm-hmm. So let me go get a hotel room. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I did the ultimate. I did whatever I had to do to keep a roof over my head mm-hmm. and to keep me high. Yeah. I did some low, low, low things. Of course. Yeah. For drugs. Well, when, you know? when, when that, when your self-worth is like stripped away mm-hmm. from you and you don't have no self-worth mm-hmm. left, you're going to do anything. Mm-hmm. In, in those moments, like, and there's no, there's no, like, and I say there's no blame or shame, like, mm-hmm. because in that moment you were stripped away already. Right. From every piece of yourself. Right. So what you, what you were doing to survive and what you were mm-hmm. doing day to day, like, you were in a completely different space. And, you know, and, and I, and I'm looking back, looking back at that and I, think to myself because they were family members that I involved myself with and we worked together mm-hmm. and in my head I think I tried to justify because trust me I shouldn't have been with these people you know number one I shouldn't have been with them you know one of them um, was a niece and she and I 
are, you know, close. And um, me and her just travel. We just travel from Canada, you know, to go make money. Mm. She was on the dope. I was on the, you know, the coke. And after I seen, wow, look at all the money you can make. Like, selling your ass. Mm. Let me... Go and do this. At least I don't have to be asking the dealer, can I get a, you know, a bump and then I'll pay you this day and, you know, running around like, you know, waiting for the welfare check to come so I can even give him the money back. Yeah. You know, it was too much stress, of, of especially in Toronto, because those guys just didn't play around when it came to their money and drugs. Mm -hmm. So I, I fell into that life of exploiting myself. And somebody just said to me the other day, oh, my God, Wendelin, that is so true. You literally exploited yourself. And I did. And, you know, and, and when even like, you know, some people mightn't see it like, like that, just like, you know, and yes, sex, um, the sex industry, you can be independent. And even though I was independent, I see what you're you saying. You know what I mean? I yeah. still turned around and exploited myself. I would get up and make my ads every morning from mm -hmm. six o'clock because I know I'm going to catch the men on their way to work, mm -hmm. 12 o'clock, you know, and it depends on what city I was in. I followed the trend, so I paid attention to what was going on, you know? And, oh, <laughs> a lot of um, those things happen when you fall into coming out of sex trafficking into... Trying just, to yeah. survive day to day. Mm -hmm. I didn't know, like, I actually, I want to look back and see my facial expressions throughout this recording, because I didn't know your story to that depth mm -hmm. so i want to thank you first of all for coming and, and sharing all those details mm -hmm. which like i don't like how does it feel to you to, to have to like to talk about like i know now you have your organization and stuff mm -hmm. and like how does it feel to relive you, you know details? something last year as soon as i would say I'm, you know i'm a survivor i'm a person crying but god gives me grace honest mm -hmm. to god he really does you know i i always stand on my faith in god and the more I talk, the more I heal. Yeah, that's true. Um, to be honest, recently, you know, I had to reach out to a therapist because I did a speaking engagement and it wasn't what I said, it's what I heard that really messed me up. What was that? I heard some, you know, stuff from, you know, other young girls. And this one young girl who was 17 years old with a baby, I was like, oh my God, like, oh my God. What was, what was being said? You know, like, uh, for instance, she was she had been trafficked from the time she said she was 12 by her uncle and now you're 17 years old and the man that you have a baby with is it was her um what do you call him her sugar daddy you know and i'm looking at them being together and i'm like oh my god mm -hmm. you know when i was saying to her is there any way that i can help you like you know mm -hmm. like what could i do right now to help you mm -hmm. you know and she was like if you ever um, if you ever come this way again, please look me up. And, and I did. And I actually reached out to an organization to see if they would take her and her baby in down in the valley mm -hmm. because uh, she just, she needs it. She's only young. She's 17. Mm -hmm. You know, she never had a kid before. The baby was only four weeks old when I seen her. And that was just a couple of months ago. So, uh, so obviously this stuff is still alive and well and still happening. Oh my God, this is happening. <laughs> Girl, listen, this That's is happening all the time. Nova Scotia is the stomping ground for sex trafficking. You know, I, I was just at the schools 
And I, I literally pleaded with these kids, like, pay attention. You know, if you have friends that are involved in the sex, in the sex, you know, you know, that are, has a boyfriend and he's making them do stuff that they want, like, some kids don't want to tell. You have to tell. You have to tell an adult, you know. Mm-hmm. When you see one of your friends, you know, now she has a new cell phone on top of the cell phone that she normally has. She's getting her hair done. She got nails. She's driving up and down with the boy. She's wearing gold, something that she was you would never see her doing, you know, and now she's not, you know, she's we would say she's acting brand new. Mm-hmm. It's not that. Number one, she's in the boyfriend syndrome. When I say that, because now she's falling in love, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're young, mm-hmm. anything and mm-hmm. anybody can take your attention, mm-hmm. you know, especially mm-hmm. if you feel that's been a lack in your life. A hundred percent. So and 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 I'm glad you touched on that, mm-hmm. like in terms of what what community can look out for, mm-hmm. like signs and things like that. Um, is there anything else that you would... You know, as a parent, for instance, you know, we, we say, oh, my daughter's or my, you know, my child's acting up, you know, they're just going through the teenage years. But, you know, I always tell parents, like, please have an open relationship with your children. Like, and keep the doors of conversation open. When you see your child dressed in a certain way that you know that that's not them, you see mm-hmm. your child... Everybody lies, mm-hmm. right? But, you know, doing too much, like, pay attention because at the end of the day, it's more going on than what you may think that is just, you know, Service teenage... Level, teenage stuff. Teenage stuff, yeah. Talk about sex. Talk about mm-hmm. um, trafficking. Talk about the realities of what's going on. Um, I didn't realize it was still so prevalent in Nova it Scotia. Is. It is. It's um, the highest. We have the highest... <laughs> The highest rate for sex trafficking at six percent, yeah. Canada and combined with Ontario, that makes up ninety percent. So, what does what's being done about it? What what like what? How's the justice system getting involved? And and if you could also touch a little bit about your organization. For instance, um, with me, I advocate. Um, I by doing these speaking engagements to you know bring awareness to the sex trafficking that is here in Nova Scotia. And as for the police can only do so much. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know, they won't do. And even if they know, it has to take that person to step forward and say, I'm being sex trafficked or, you know, I'm going to press charges Mm -hmm. because there's more underreported cases Mm -hmm. than there are reported cases. Because like I said, the police can't really do anything unless... As people step forward, and that's the complexity about this this topic. Because a lot of times the young girls are feeling like they are in love mm-hmm. and they are in relationships, mm-hmm. so it's difficult for them to to call it what it is. It's not until like years later come out of it, then exactly, then they realize, oh my god, that's what was happening. Imagine that. So what can we what can we do? What your your organization does? What first? So. We support those that are at risk. I do a lot of outreach now um, to um, bring awareness, especially to those that are living in the tent cities, um, because I see a lot of sex trafficking going on. And you know what's so weird? It's not even somebody from off the street that's coming in. It's the men that are living in the tent city that are trafficking the girls. And, you know, I even tried to get a young girl a couple of weeks ago to come with me so that I could sent her to another organization that I knew that where she would be safe and she would be off the streets. Mm-hmm. And um, she was like, well, who's going to give me money? I can't leave because if I leave, he's going to be mad at me. 
And I stood and I'm saying, hey, Wendelin, like, this is what you do. And like, what are you going to do right now? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing I, could, I would say to the man, but I said to her, I could help you if you listen to me today. Mm-hmm. And she was like, who's going who's gonna to get my dope for me? And when she said that, I realized that's how he was maintaining his control. Mm-hmm. Let's do the drug. Through the dope, yeah. Oh, Jesus. That's what I say. <laughs> this is a big, this is a big deal. It's happening right under our noses, happening in our communities, our young people. And people don't like talking about that. And you know what I wish, honest to God, I wish I had my own safe house. And I'm really praying that that happens. Mm-hmm. But I really wish that organizations that, like myself, you know, that are involved in, you know, sexualized violence or sex trafficking, I wish we, like, could just come together and work the hell together because mm-hmm. if we're all over here trying to do the same thing, why can't we work together? And when I see like, you know, like that happening and I'm over here, that organization's over there and that one's over there, we're not working together, it makes me wonder like, what, what the hell is going on? Is it are, mo- sorry, I was gonna ask, what are some of the organizations locally that folks um, are going to if they're experiencing? There's um, TESS, which is Trafficking Exploitation um, services, um, and that's through the YWCA. They have another um, thing on top of called End Stay, and those are safe places for anybody that's at risk or involved in sex trafficking. They can go to um, find supports and safe housing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Other than that, um, I really don't know. Uh, other than myself. And I don't have a safe space, mm-hmm. but I do have the supports put in place that if, you know, you come to me, I can say, okay, like, you know, let me, you know, send you or refer you over to, um, you know, tests or the YWCA through NSTAY. Mm-hmm. And most of anybody who has come to me because of my partnership with um, S&M Counseling, I have just referred them to Stacy mm-hmm. because I prefer you to have your mental health, which Absolutely. is more important than anything pressing charges and mm-hmm. going through all that the because it's so re-traumatizing you know so that makes a lot of sense um the fact that we only have kind of two that you mentioned mm-hmm. that i didn't even hear about and i didn't know this was still such a big problem here mm-hmm. locally so there you know the work that you're doing through your organization mm-hmm. in terms of bringing awareness around mm-hmm. it talking about it advocating um it's it's Mm -hmm. really needed the fact that you were just saying how you know you're just talking to a 17 year old girl and it blew my mind like this stuff is still going on and you know if you have daughters if you have sisters Mm -hmm. you know and it's not just it's just not girls it's It's, boys too and especially those that are transgender jeez they are the highest at, at at risk so yeah a real problem yeah it is and if and i think as a community and you know i i try to say to myself what more what more can you do like what what else can you do to you know make this you know more like people know like like this is really happening you know so all i can do is speak and advocate Mm -hmm. and do stuff like now i'm being on there now i'm on now i'm on high (laughs) alert you know after your story today Mm -hmm. and again like i appreciate you going into the details because people Mm -hmm. usually shy away from that Mm -hmm. and we don't always know Mm -hmm. sometimes sex trafficking can sometimes be glamorized yes do you know what i mean like when 
when we when we think about you know girls that go away and come back and they're wearing all this nice stuff and they're driving around these nice cars and all this stuff like it gets glamorized but i appreciate you Mm -hmm. telling us about the details Mm -hmm. about what actually goes on in some of these houses and the Mm -hmm. day-to-day stuff um because now i'm now i'm on extra high alert um and my throat and my stomach is all in flip flops. Yeah, I could have right right seen the expressions on your face. I'm literally like, <laughs> I am so sorry yeah. that 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 happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, through that happening, you know, it's making me it's making me stronger. And I don't care what I have to do. I am going to push forward with empowerment for hope because well, I am definitely going to help empower. I always say, if just one person is is reached by my story then all that I've been through is not in vain but I know that I didn't get to this place just to falter I know that I'm going to help someone I know that the things that I want that will really help empowerment for hope to thrive are going to fall into place you know finally got funding thank Jesus Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. you know so that helps you know, reach and more people make a big exactly. Impact. And if I get this safe house, that will like seal the deal. I will tell you something. Um, we did a poll online, mm-hmm. and the question was, "Have you or anyone you know been um, affected by human trafficking?" And fifty percent said yes. See, that's what I mean. Fifty percent. So you see what I mean? Like you did a poll, so now fifty percent said that, right? And so, the, the other options were no and unsure. So it's not like 50% said no. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I understand. But like for the 50% that said yes, where are you guys at? How come we're not working together? Or like, where are you guys at? What are you doing? You know, I always tell people, please don't be complacent. Mm -hmm. Don't be scared to. Some of them are victims. Some of them are, some of them either, you know, maybe a family member Mm -hmm. or a friend or something. And, and it's, and it's so complex. Like this stuff is so complex. Yeah, I get that. You could want to help somebody, and they're so in this manipulation mm-hmm. that they don't know. Um, someone did ask, um, "How can we support survivors while also acknowledging the history of human trafficking?" Um, many ANS origins come from human trafficking of Africans, historically speaking, mm-hmm. um, and we know this. Yeah. Like we know this, like you know, slave mm-hmm. trades and 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 all of those things, but. Um, how do we support survivors while also acknowledging the history? By not being complacent, but by speaking up about what you know. You don't have to call people's names or, or anything like that, but by just saying, listen, I'm not taking this no more. You're not going to have this in my community, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And if I see you doing this, listen, I'm going to come and talk to you because people are going to get sick and tired of you coming up in their face, you know? Yeah. Telling them, oh, you know, you need to, you know, you say to the dope, the dope dealers, stop selling dope right in our community. Yeah. You know, everybody knows that these boys are, are running these girls. So why can't you just tell them, like, you're not going to have this in our community. We don't want this here. A hundred percent. You know, 100%. there's like this code, like we don't we don't want to, you know, snitch on each other. We don't mm-hmm. want to like say what's going on. But mm-hmm. that's our children. Exactly. That's our children out there that are being exposed to this stuff. Exactly. So when you put it in those terms, mm-hmm. we, we would keep fighting this. Exactly. Keep fighting this good fight and calling it out and and doing the mm-hmm. work that you're doing through your organization. Is yeah. there any last um, words you want to, if, if there's anything that you want to say that you really want people to know? Uh, no, no. 
I really want to yeah. quickly ask you right quick. <laughs> okay. How did you like how did how did you heal? Like how how are you healing? You know what? Honest to God, I always say too, I'm not completely healed. And that's yeah. the God's truth. For sure. But like I said, I truly lean on my faith in God to help me. I really do. And like I said just recently, I had to reach out to a therapist because yeah. I realized for myself that it's it's a lot that I'm taking in, it's a lot mm-hmm. that I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff that I can't say because it's confidentiality. Mm-hmm. And it's like I go to sleep, as Tia would say, and everything is all in my head, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a process. It is. It's a process. It is. And probably through the work that you're doing, hopefully you can find a lot of healing through that. And it does. The more yeah. I talk, the more I heal. Good. And um, plug us really quick to your organization. What's the name and how can we find you? Empowerment for Hope. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And you're starting a podcast. I know. Don't worry. Keep it's it real. Podcast. And it's okay. going to be some keep it real Moment. subjects. It will. Okay. It will. I, I know that. It'll be. It will. It's coming. Trust me. Yeah. And you'll be talking about this in particular? Or this a lot was, of Well, you know, it, it will, but it will be myself and somebody else because it will be her story, you know, and the way that we'll do it, you'll get to hear what kind of happened to me too, you know, and you know, people, you know, I always say, yeah, people have heard from me, but I, I literally want people to hear it from a mother's point of view. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I, I met a woman, um, in Ontario. Oh my God. And she, um, literally is the mother of a survivor of sex trafficking. And this woman literally had the man living in her house. She knew something was wrong, but she didn't know what was going on. It was happening right underneath her nose. And I need her to tell her story so that parents can truly hear it from a mother and what she has done up until today to try to, um, you're not, we're not going to stop human trafficking. It's never going to stop, but we can kind of combat the cases and, and you bring know, awareness, talking about yes. it opens up our mind to so much because that floorboard story, mm-hmm. that's going to, I will never forget that. Mm-hmm. And so people can be aware of mm-hmm. all the possible places where people mm-hmm. can be stuffed and yeah. hiding and, and be suffering. Mm-hmm. If you're going in to look for someone in a home, don't just look in the obvious yeah. places. Yeah. Like sharing these stories are is doing the work. Yeah, and, and that's one of the biggest things is just getting it out there and just talking about it straight up. Well, thank you. We didn't have time to pull a card today, but I don't even want to. I just want folks to just reflect on this episode, mm-hmm. um, take in all the details and, you know, um, yes, you know, take a moment to process it, but mm-hmm. use it to, you know, fight against this exactly. epidemic and this problem that's in our community. Yeah. So let me ask you, how you doing? Girl. Because yeah, your eyes and your face look, I know, I'm, it's I'm a lot. I'm surprised I didn't break down. <laughs> I was saying, please don't let her cry. I but was yeah. like, Jesus. I didn't hear your story like that. Mm-hmm. I never heard it like that. I I, I heard you glaze, like, yeah. you, know, I, you know, a victim of human trafficking and things like that. But it's the details in the mm-hmm. story that really, like, yeah. grip people. Yeah. Um. We'll talk about me another day. Yeah. I'll come on your podcast. Oh, don't worry. You come. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing thank your you story. Thank you for having me. Um, folks, um, follow Empowerment for Hope. Um, follow Winnie. Um, learn more about her story and how, how we can support uh, people in our community that are that are dealing with this. And, and we'll, we'll see you guys back here soon. Peace out.